0: Hello, everyone, and welcome into this edition of the ProvCast. My name is Court, and I'll be your host. And we'll be doing something a little bit different uh, during this episode of the ProvCast. Uh, A few months ago, we kicked off the ProvCast again with an elder interview, or elder candidate interview, rather, with Mike and Brenda Costello. And uh, we got such great feedback from that that we decided we wanted to kind of make that a staple in the life of our church. And uh, we feel like this is a great way that we can Help some of our members get to know in more long form discussion our elder candidates. And so, with the announcement of our new elder candidates, uh, Brendan Tanamachi and Ty Gaston, I'm going to be here. And rather than him sitting in the co host seat like normal, he's going to be an interviewee. And I sit here today with Brendan Tanamachi. So, welcome, Brendan. Howdy, y'all. We're really excited. Uh, obviously, we get to do this in every other podcast so it's a little bit uh, normal for us to be able to do this. Um, and just kind of chat a little bit about your life and your family. And um, yeah, so I'll start off by saying, obviously, you've been a staff member at Providence since the very beginning. Um, you know, you and I sitting at Jitters Coffee and trying mm-hmm. to decide uh, what life in the church would be like, you know. And so uh, some, some people might not know your story. I figured one way to start off might be to just say, you know, how did you come to know the Lord Jesus? How did you uh, I guess stumble your way into the calling of ministry and maybe just tell those who, who don't know you know you as well as I do or, or some of our members who have been here for a while do, uh, share a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I, I have one of those boring testimonies that, that and sometimes on Sunday mornings we, we pray for for our kids. We always talk about, oh, you want your kids to have a boring testimony or what what society may consider boring, although we know that no testimony is boring because Christ saves us. But uh, I grew up in the church my entire life, and uh, I've lived in Kingwood basically my entire life. We've uh, my, my dad worked for Exxon for 37 years before retiring, and so we um, started in Houston. Or I started in Houston. They didn't. Um, I was born in Houston. We quickly moved to Alaska for six months, Colorado for four years, back to Houston, England for two years, back to Houston since 1998. We were about a day away or like a week away from moving to Russia in 2003, which is going to be a part of my, a big part of my story here. Uh, but we didn't. So, um, and there's a, that's a big part that I'll get to in a minute. But I've grown up in the church. My parents uh, raised me as a Presbyterian child um, for many, many years. And uh, in, in 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 different ways that still has an effect on me today. And in a good way, I would say. Um, so, my grandmother on my father's side is kind of uh what we consider to be our our matriarch she was buddhist um growing up and she actually was uh because we're japanese she was in the relocation camps during world war ii um, and through that process i came to faith in christ um, and really just set the tone for our family and so when when we see just in um, the pastoral blessings that are given in, in the old Testament when it says, may his favor be upon you in a thousand generations. Um, it's really true. And, uh, and I, this is as an encouragement to you parents out there. Um, no, we're not in control of everything, but being a faithful steward of the gospel to your family pays dividends. And I'm, I'm a, a walking testimony to that. And obviously you're talking about Mimi Mitzi right now, right? Yes. Mimi Mitzi who is 97 years old right now. And, uh, has been praying to see Christ every day for forty years now, and and that means what you think it means. <laughs> she yeah. says maybe tomorrow Jesus will take me home. Um, <laughs>
0: Which is a side note. I mean, she was uh, diagnosed with COVID, and yes. you know, symptoms were very mild. A uh, couple weeks later, tested again, still has it. She's still battling it right now. But mm-hmm. basically, she is a. I mean, we could we should do a whole podcast about have. maybe Minzi. She's got such an awesome story yes. and uh, so much like life there of serving Jesus and obviously like having been in the, uh, the internment camps, mm-hmm. uh, during world war two, just, just like, just so many amazing things about her life and yeah. uh, her love for Jesus. I remember when I met her for the first time at our, one of our college services that she had come to or something or our generation at some point, And, uh, just, just joyful, like loves Jesus, loves yes. her family, but just like evidently loves Jesus.
1: We growing up, we, uh, we didn't understand, you know, we, we obviously went to church, but we were just like, man, why did she talk about Jesus so much? Why did she <laughs> talk about Christianity so much, you know? It's like we, we used to say, like, man, you can't have a single conversation without her turning it to that. All right. Um, but she, she loves Christ. She treasures him. And so, um, you know, my parents met, and my my mother grew up Catholic. Um, she's Hispanic, and so uh, grew up Catholic. And my dad grew up, um, I guess you would say Baptist in a way. And they kind of met in the middle, um if you would call it that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's good right there. I feel yeah. like there's a meme to be made of that. Red uh, Presbyterian. Yeah, merging which, to be Presbyterian.
1: Which is crazy because if you know anything about Presbyterian, it's Presbyterianism, it's actually pretty intense, um, or at least just very structured and, and very intentional with the way that it's designed. Uh, and so calling it a middle ground, I don't know if that's really a thing. But, but I grew up Presbyterian at a church in Kingwood, and uh, I remember going to the traditional service, the traditional style worship service, all growing up. Um, They they did family inclusion of sorts because their Sunday school hour was in the middle of the services. And then um, my first experience with contemporary worship was actually in England. Uh, We had moved there for Exxon, and uh, it was at a church called the International Community Church. And everything we did in England was very international. The school I went to was very international. And I remember, really all I remember um, of that was the song Shout to the Lord. Hmm. That was like 1997. Like, Darlene check, baby. Yes. I mean, the height of, of the birth of what we know now today is contemporary worship. Um, and uh, so we moved back when we attended that Presbyterian church again, and I got involved in the, the middle school ministry, really at the end of fifth grade, which I loved. At the end of fifth grade, they, they fact, past, uh, the last month of school, they'd allow you to sit in on the middle school uh, ministry, which really just meant like, no joke, this is not a joke, we'd have pizza and uh, <laughs> on Wednesday nights, and then there would be a lesson, and we'd play like dodgeball. Um, and so I got hooked on that, and then did my middle school youth ministry all through middle school, and really the, the crux of my story comes here. When I was in, I think it was eighth grade, my parents went to a retreat, which uh, if you're listening to this here at Providence, many of you might have been on, it's called Pilgrimage Now, but it used to be called Curcio, uh, back when I was when when I was in school, and uh i don't really remember much other than I stayed home that weekend and I think my sister was in town just to to hang out and kind of keep watch over me as an eighth grader, and they came back completely different. They left one way, came back different hmm. and if you know anything about my dad, which most of you do, change doesn't always come quickly. My dad is a a thorough thinker and considers a lot of things before he acts or makes commitments. And if you know my mom, my mom is also very passionate, much like myself. I'm very much a a strong mix of both of them in personality. Um, But they came back different. And honestly, I didn't understand it back then either. It was the same thing, same attitude I had towards Mimi Mitzi. Um, And uh, I remember kind of like poking fun at my dad a little bit back then. He would always be playing these these Christian songs on guitar and I'll, I'll always be like, what's why, you know, <laughs> here, here I am like learning how to play uh cold play and like things like that back in uh, 2002, 2003 on my guitar and he's learning how to play Lord, I lift you new on high. There you go. You know? And, uh, so, uh, around my eighth grade year, uh, my, my dad bought me my first guitar. Uh, and, uh, there was a gentleman named Chad, uh, who I am still in very, you know, good contact with today who came to this church that we were at. And he was part of a, um, just a kind of a a nationwide touring band called Vapor at the time. And so I just, I saw what I, he'll probably laugh at this if you're listening to this, Chad, but I saw what I thought were the coolest rock stars that I'd ever seen (laughs) got hired to do our contemporary service at, at this church. It can't be cooler than
0: Matt Weaver. I know
1: (laughs) That's, uh, that's, that's a, that's a conversation for a different time, but, uh, so I saw what what is in a lot of ways a style that we we know now being played out in 2002, which was a stark difference from shot to the Lord. It was more like modern, um, contemporary has this this uh, this kind of air about it that that makes you think of 1999. Um, and so I know that we're getting deep into this, but basically the modern style started with. Uh, Delirious, the band Delirious uh, in, in Christian worship. And they brought what was the sound of U2 into contemporary worship. And mm-hmm. Chris Tomlin kind of jumped on that as well. So that's what attracted me. So Chad showed up and said, I'm starting a youth worship band. Who wants to be involved? Right. And this is so countercultural to how my brain runs because he just said, anybody and everybody, let's go. <laughs> so I'm not joking. We had 11 people sign up for this worship band. I'm talking... Five acoustic players, three singers, a piano player, a bass player, a conga player, you name it.
0: It, it was, sounds like every charismatic church I've it, ever been a part of.
1: <laughs> it, which, it was way too big, um, but I remember uh, signing up for this and we had a couple of rehearsals and then um, uh, I found out that I was going to be moving to Russia, which was devastating to me because um, in seventh and eighth grade, I just made my lifelong friends that still have today, um, just started getting involved in this and... Uh, so this is kind of the crux of where my where I believe my salvation came to play. Um, I don't really have a moment where I can say this is when I came to faith, but I read a book by Chris Tomlin in my early worship leading days that said, if you don't remember that moment, pray and ask the Lord to reveal to you a moment which you can call home in a way. Hmm. And I did, and, and this is the moment that I, I hearken back to. So we went to Eric Ripley, you're welcome, West Virginia, Ooh. Uh, in, in eighth grade, uh, the mountains, like the Appalachian Mountains, or Appalachian if you want to be uh, proper, <laughs> and we are deep in the mountains at this retreat center, and we're going and we're we're doing service projects. We're putting insulation under trailers for people that live out in the mountains. That some of them don't even have. They don't have power. Yeah, you know this is so far out there. And the theme song, because we used to have a theme song for every mission trip that we would take, was "Hands and Feet" by Audio Adrenaline. If this mm-hmm. takes you back, you know, we're <laughs> still talking. This is a long time ago. It doesn't feel like a long time ago, but it really was.
0: We'll share this YouTube video in the episode notes. <laughs> so everybody can, everybody can know a little of your adrenaline if they don't know.
1: Yeah. which is oh man. Okay. So, so the song, the lyrics in the chorus say, I want to be your hands. I want to be your feet. Lord, I'll go where you send me. I'll go where you send me. Um, and we would sing that and basically just saying like, we want to be the hands and feet of Christ. Every night before that mission trip I would pray. I think I still had a bunk bed in my in my home in my room <laughs> at, at my parents' house and I would I would literally get on my knees and pray, Lord, please don't make me move to Russia. I don't want to move to Russia. I don't want to move to Russia. Every night. Um, and then leaving that mission trip, came back to Houston. And this was a big deal. Like my my sister was going to college at University of North Texas. We were about to move half well, across the world, not halfway across the world. Um, I was gonna be in a country where Going into high school, when I turned 16, I couldn't get my driver's license. We couldn't drive; we would have to have a driver drive us around everywhere because of uh, we couldn't read Russian, like we, you know, things like that. Um, and uh, it was just a big deal. They didn't have the orchestra program that I was in here. I would have to do like a private thing, which is just all these crazy changes for an eighth grader, right? And uh, I got home, and that 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 night, I got home from the mission trip. And I got on my knees and said, "I said, okay, Lord, it's very clear that you're calling me to be your hands and feet." And so I will go, if you want me to go to Russia to be the hands and feet of Jesus, I will go. Um, And it probably wasn't, it felt like the very next day. Um, We're sitting at, I think it was Rico's Grill. Ooh, I remember Rico's. Yeah, I I don't know, I can't remember what it is now, but it was up at the front of Kingwood and uh, sitting with my parents, my sister, and uh, her boyfriend at the time. And uh, this was back when, punked the show with Ashton Kutcher, <laughs> Ashton Kutcher, uh, was on. And, uh, my, we went to dinner and my, my, my parents said, we're not moving. And I'm telling, I'm telling you, we were like, the movers were supposed to, it was Friday. The movers were supposed to get there on Monday. Hmm. My mom had already left her job at the middle school that I was previously at. Like it was a big deal. And, uh, I thought we were being punked. I literally said, am I being punked right now? <laughs> um, and, uh, They said, no, they decided to go a different direction. So we didn't, we didn't end up moving and, um, to kind of condense the rest of it. Like that's the moment I I believe that I came to trust Jesus. I do remember being wooed by Christ in middle school because we, like we would sing God of wonders and I remember always closing my eyes to sing that song and meaning like God, you are holy, even though I didn't really understand what that meant. Um, but I went through high school, um, in that same youth group, went on all the mission trips about my sophomore year after Probably another seven of those people in the worship band had kind of trailed off. We had the remaining four, which were my best friends in high school. We, we led worship all through high school. Um, I was an intern at that church for two years, played in the worship band, discipled. Um, and at that point, which I graduated high school in 2007, so it must have been 2009, um, I was no longer an intern at the church, kind of trying to find my way, currently playing electric guitar for the morning service. And I, I was working at um, at City Presbyterian Church as well which I've told most of you guys all that already. Um, and that's when I met you, yep. 2009. So the truth is I found found Generation Ministries where we met through Ty Gaston. And that's just a whole other world because he was at another church. And, you know, we found Generation, met you, I think, uh, started coming to the college service, had had some stints of volunteering with you guys. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, the truth is, and I'll gladly admit it, I was flighty at that time in my life, <laughs> which is the antithesis to who I try to be today. I was about to say, everybody's going to be pleased to hear that. <laughs> I know. You, welcome to the Brendan's Weaknesses podcast, everybody. <laughs> um, when I tell you just being candid, like, I, I, I was so flighty back then, I would sometimes just not show up to lead worship at gigs that I had committed to. I mean, can you imagine... Now, Providence, me just not showing up because I didn't feel like it to a Sunday morning. <laughs> you, you, know, need like, to, you need to go back and, and Facebook message Laura Garcia I and just apologize. Laura, so. if you're listening to this, first of all, your child is beautiful. <laughs> Second of all, I'm sorry.
0: Um, Laura Garcia led the Baptist student ministry, and we always joke with Brendan about his his flightiness and, and committing to, to lead and then just not showing up to the BSM that week.
1: I would be in the parking lot of Lone Star College and in the, my car and just be like, oh, I don't feel like going out there today. And, I, and they would be calling me. Calling. Where are you? And I would just ignore the calls. I'm telling you this is bad, guys. But uh the Lord has brought me a long way. Uh so we met and um got involved in the college service and and I'm particularly remember uh in that moment, you know, I, I loved generation because of it was a college ministry at the time for me. It was a place to belong, but I, I, I was still kind of looking for I guess my next season I was still in school, but school really wasn't right for me back then. I was I was actually doing well though. So um for the first time I was doing well in college but it had come to this place after so long where my parents basically said if you don't shape up you got to move out <laughs> and uh, so I did really well or decently well um, in the fall semester and in the spring semester you called me up and said let's meet at Chick-fil-A which was not where all the good things happen yeah which was not a normal because you and I would get together from time to time and I didn't expect this but you had you had asked me to come on board at Generation um full-time, which I had been volunteering with the college service for a while, and uh, I remember I left that conversation and told my mom, I'm moving out because I'm not going to school anymore, (laughs) (laughs) so uh, I just felt like, you know what, you laid down this expectation of if if I'm not doing well, i got to move out, and you know what, I'm not going to do well, so (laughs) here we go, Uh, and, uh, you know, moved out out to Humble with Morgan Gantz. Um, for those of you who know that, and a uh, couple other guys, and it was just the naughtiest of crews in this this house in humble. And we did generation there, which are, I I really you know I look back at memories on Facebook today and just think about how much I was shaped by that and how crazy I was an intense individual at generation. Uh, and uh, you know you got a lot of you guys know me now and how uh, passionate I could be about certain things just unfettered about those same things. <laughs> didn't care about people as much. Everything was way more transactional. I, I legitimately have gone back to apologize to a lot of people over the years <laughs> through Facebook messages, things like that, just for, for how intense I was about things I didn't need to be as intense about. But nonetheless, that is how I came to faith and how I ended up here at Providence. Yeah, the one thing I really like
0: about like your story, not just of how you came to faith, but also, also came to, to serve in ministry, is the elements of your story are you, you mentioned the word boring, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, I got the boring story, but really they're, they are the elements of the story that we all pray for as parents. Mm -hmm. You know, you start at like a grandparent level with faith that has, you know, trickles its way down into your parents. And, you know, then your parents, you seeing them have life change and, you know, I respect and love your parents so very much, Mm -hmm. like just the people that they are and the character that they have, their love for Christ and the way that I think they are their model parents in so many ways, but then also like student ministry, mm. you know, like we all joke about that. We make, we make light of that now. I mean, we, cause we've been involved in, in student ministry and, and obviously not just being in it, but also leading it. And so it's an easy kind of like joke to make. Yep. Uh, but in reality, like, I mean, I can't even count how many people, whenever you ask them their story, just how much people were impacted by things like student ministry and, you know, and, and the people who, well, like, you know, the leaders in our student ministry are doing right now, like the work mm-hmm. that they're doing is, is so significant Yeah, because those moments are the moments that'll stick with our young people for, for good for their whole lives. So that's a really cool part of your story, I think. And, you know, shout out to Chad who, but yeah. you know, just as a side note, really cool that, you know, Chad's now the lead pastor at the church that you are yes. going to as a kid and doing an amazing job there. And just, yeah. Um, so I just think that's cool to see that come full circle too.
1: Yeah. And, and, and just like any student ministry, there's ups, there's downs, I made a lot of dumb decisions as a kid and everything like that. And <laughs> But one thing that I remember particularly, um, and I think this was my first year in generation, um, even though we were student ministry leaders, I remember when we'd have these morning prayers, I remember praying, Lord, I don't know how to communicate the gospel, so would you give me the words to understand how to communicate it? And I remember it was just like literally just like a light bulb. Hmm. Like a ne- I prayed that for a few days in a row, and I just remember being like, oh, there it is and then I would just the crazy bold faith that we would have as these unfettered students, right? I would go to the mall and like go to all the kiosks of people trying to sell stuff and just (laughs) say, I would meet them and say, do you know the gospel? And we'll just, just, you know, it's a great, it's a great segue. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and I, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was a good time. and, And I, and I agree. I appreciate all the people who have, who have paved that way for me so much grace over, over so many years. Um, and like you said, like, my testimony looks different than, than in yours, but right. there's so much grace in different ways. You know, so many patient people, just like you've had with your with your story. Absolutely. You know? So many patient people. I've always been somebody who's pursued morality and things like that, and but that's where grace has hit me the most. I remember making some mistakes and going to Chad and saying, I was afraid you'd be mad at me. Like, that was my biggest thing. I was afraid that my, my mentor, my pastor at the time, would be mad at me. And he would say, yep. like, you I remember him telling me like you don't ever need to feel that. You, yeah. know, you can come to me with anything, you know. So the grace that's shown in those ways. It's it's powerful for students.
0: Yeah, and I think it also should be an encouragement to all of our parents as well, just the impact that you can have on your on your kids. You know, you even being watching when your when your parents went to a retreat and recognizing there was a difference in them. Mm-hmm. You know, that that really encourages my heart to know that you know, there's there's two sides to that coin, obviously. It's like your parent you know, as parents we, we fail and, and our kids recognize it and we all know that and it's our greatest fears. But also, as we pursue the Lord, you know those things can stick with our kids as well, and that's mm-hmm. that's just awesome to hear. So, obviously, you have led with alongside me since the very beginning. Mentioned that at the, at the start, um, and so I always say a goal for us is, uh, as elders, as we install new elders and and find new elder candidates, is it's the it's the easiest whenever people uh, men who are called to elder and we bring them up in front of the congregation to be affirmed. It's always easiest if they have already been pastoring. Yeah. They've already been doing the work of shepherding and, and eldering before they're affirmed and installed as elders. And, and I feel that way about, about you and, and Ty both just the work that you've already been doing, but, um, just being a pastor, being a shepherd for all these years, but, but you uniquely, because you've been with me since the very beginning mm-hmm. have obviously had le- various leadership roles in the, in the church from the early days as church plant. But what, uh, what's been rewarding about that for you? Like what's if you look back, you know, seven years now, seven and a half years, um, what's been the most rewarding in all the different leadership roles that you've taken?
1: That's a good question. Um it's a it's a joy to be in this position of candidacy. I have aimed is probably the word I've sought after eldership for I mean, if you count our um, you know, jitters meetings yeah. eight years now. Hmm. Um and it's come with different desires over the years. They've changed, and uh, as much as, as frustrating as it can be, um, to wait eight years, I'm glad. I'm grateful to God because I'm such a different person now yeah. than I was back then. And and so the reward to me is the people, um, just knowing every everybody's stories. You know, I stand on a stage every Sunday, and I, I even like admit it sometimes in in uh, in the songs. I, I can see everybody. I see everything that happens. I'm also a very observant person in general, but I know most people's stories. I know what they've been through. Um, please don't be intimidated by, by my observancy, but I can see like somebody who uh, has been struggling for a year who maybe is a physically physically expressive worshiper who hasn't raised their hands in a year, and then, bam, one Sunday they raise their hand. And I, I'll, I'll notice that. Um, and so, like, getting to know each person's heart um, over the years has been the biggest reward. And then becoming a father, you know, I, I was single when we started this church. Yeah. And praise be to God, like, I found, I found my wife or we started dating and, and we have two kids now. And, and, and really, my wife recently kind of brought it to my attention that, and, and Ty Gaston affirmed this in a conversation the other day, my heart really started changing when my son was born. And hmm. I didn't even really realize that. But um, four years ago, the Lord grabbed my soul and said, you're going to be a lover of people. But I remember having a conversation with you on the, college of, on the campus of Lone Star College in like 2010. I don't even remember what we were talking about. But um, you said it all starts with a love for people. And I, I said, literally, I don't have that. Yeah. And you said, well, you need to pray for that. And I did. And it's there. And it's here. And it's multiplying every day of my life so the biggest reward of being here from the beginning is I've seen every I've seen all your stories I've seen some of you who have struggled with infertility your adoption stories restored marriages death you name it I've seen it and and just knowing this this church you know through the ups and downs of ministries I could always come back to the idea that I just love these people so much yeah
0: and I just want to affirm that and you encourage you I I think that that is very evident to those who know you. And, and also it's something that has grown in you as you've, as you've led. And, uh, that leads, that leads me into another question that I have for you. Um, obviously one of the things we joke about all the time is because you, uh, not that we have to go off on this tangent, but you, you know, being the one on the Enneagram, which, you know, <laughs> you, proud you are, of um, you have the, the tendency that if people, I guess, meet you at, at, at their initial, like, first glance or first conversation, mm-hmm. or even people that just observe you, um, they might think, man, he's really intense, um, he d- he doesn't really uh, worry about uh, whether or not he's going to hurt someone's feelings at first or whatever it may be, he's just going to tell you like it is and be direct, um, but what people don't get to see unless they know you really intimately is the other side of you, which, uh, you know, I've gotten to be able to know and also observe over the course of the last, you know, five, six, seven years, which is uh, you're also one of the people that will sit down first in someone's living room in their home, pray with them, encourage them, cry with them, mm. minister to them, um, you know, be willing to. Th- that directness actually leads to a lot more shepherding. Um, And and I, I mean, you know, talking to somebody about some talking with someone about something that other people don't recognize, but you see it. So you reach into their life and it leads mm. to, you know, so you kind of have this this uh, reputation that doesn't match what the people that really know you, uh, have experienced. And, uh, and I've actually heard that from people. So I have like, yeah. you know, people who will say Brennan's like one of the most loving, kind tender people that we have. And then other people will be like, for real, you know, cause they don't know <laughs> you, <laughs> Yeah, you know, how have you experienced that? And, and, um, you know, I mean, what's your take on that with, with uh, reputation versus reality?
1: Well, it's all the things you've said are true. So, um, and, and, and many of them in my early days of ministry are were even more true. Uh, I've heard a lot of things, as we all do in every area of our lives and our jobs and things like that. We People have opinions about us. Um, yeah. And so I'm grateful to be able to actually talk about this because I feel like we I get to talk about it in passing a lot, but not in this kind of forum. So um, I am, I know that some of you don't believe in the Enneagram, and that's fine. I do, and I love it, and I'm a big fan. I am a one-wing two, and recently that wing two has been I don't even know how to say it's been like overwhelming me. <laughs> uh, it's that, probably very two wing two things to, to say right there. Um, I'm very, I'm, I can be intense, uh, because I believe, and I'm, when I believe things, I believe them fully. Um, my struggles, uh, and those of you who know me well know I, I struggle very deeply with, uh, self-criticism. Um, I don't hate myself or anything and uh, not at all. Uh, but I have very high standards for myself and I also have very high standards for everybody else. And and in a lot of ways, I, I would never ask, I would never put a standard on someone that I haven't put on myself first. Um, and so, uh, that's why it can be intense because I believe in things. I believe that there's a right way to do things. Um, and, and, uh, I want as close as I can get to perfection in all that I do. Um, so that's why for many of you, um, I particularly remember an example early on. I was asked a question um, in our first couple of years about whether this person came to me. Uh, if you're listening and you know who you are, I love you. But uh, they came to me and said, uh, I've got another church group that I'm a part of. Can I can I be a part of Providence and still be a part of that? And I basically just told them no. Um, and it wasn't because <laughs> it was because for me, it was because I was I'm was so fiercely committed to the church plant. And, right, and planting a church is so difficult. Yeah. Everybody sees it as like the hip young thing. Oh, cool! I'll sport that. But really, it's a side thing for them. For us, it was the main thing. So I said, like, I can't control you, but our heart would be that your community would be here, mm-hmm. even if we don't have everything you're wanting. We I pray that it would be us. And and this person, at least I heard through the grapevine that they thought I was mean. Um, <laughs> but you know, you can kind of see like the 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 big commitment there. Um, so what Corda's talking about, and, and over the past number of years, in, uh, is is that if you actually know me, you know that I, I can be sensitive. Um, I don't think I get my feelings hurt easily, but, uh, you know, when people, even today, if people will say, oh, Brendan, he's not understanding, or he's just, uh, he's too harsh, like, it, it, it does hurt my heart, because the, the phrase that I always use is, well, if they actually knew me, I don't think they'd say those things. Um, And isn't that true of of a lot of judgment that we make about people? But I am a very loyal person. I'm willing to die for people, um, not just principally, but like consciously. I would put my life on the line for any of you in this church, any of your children, um, obviously my own family, of course, too. Um, I am a one wing two on the Enneagram is called The Advocate. And really, I feel like that's a perfect description for my personality. I will go to bat for you. Um, But the reason that I can become hard at times is because I can also sniff out agendas. right? And so um, I can be, I can put people at arm's length sometimes because of that. And so that's what people will see a lot. Um, I'll be on a, I'm also just very driven too. So if you catch me on a Sunday morning and I've got a lot of jobs to do, I can just be, uh, I don't, I don't multitask super well with certain things. So if you catch me when I'm like, Somebody's saying, "Brendan, please help us fix the check-in technology." And I'm like, "Okay, here we go." But then somebody else is calling me, "Brendan, how are you doing?" And I'm like, "Oh God, I don't. I, how do I <laughs> handle this?" You know, in my mind, I'm like, "I don't have time to answer to tell you how I'm doing," because that's a that's a loaded question in and of itself. You know, for those random fact, I hate it when people ask me how I'm doing, because I don't really know how to handle, to ask that or handle to answer that. Or if they say, "How's your soul?" I'm like, you know, "What does that even mean?" That's a side note though, but, but you're kind of getting a glimpse now into like my personality, right? It's so, you know, I appreciate you affirming those things in me and I I just want you guys to know, like, I love you deeply. Um, I will cry with you, much like we see Dan Hart do. I, I was telling him the other day, like, dude, I'm becoming too much like you because I cry all the time. <laughs> for those of you who don't know, He's I— He's going
0: to really appreciate that I, characterization.
1: I, uh, Dan is one of the most loving dudes you'll ever meet. He will die for eating. That's why—we that's, love so deeply. That's why he cries. But let me tell you the truth, guys. I cry every day. And may, Many of you may not know that, but I, legitimately every day of my life, I shed tears at least one time.
0: Which well, is just is ironic because this is something that we've done ministry for a long time together. And even when we first met, this was, this is how God has made you. And I'd make fun of you about this. I'd always tell people, G, you know, Brendan wants to slow dance with Jesus, you know, yes. and, uh, <laughs> and I, I, you know, most of you already know this, but I, I do not have that. You know, I have a a penchant to not have tears. Like I have, I would love to, for that to be true. Like I read the Psalms and you know, David's tears are becoming his food day and night. And I'm like, mm. that would be nice, <laughs> you know? Uh, but you know, I've softened some like the, by God's grace, but I would say I, for a long time, didn't have that. So it was always interesting to me that when we planted a church, then you kind of became known as like a stern, tough guy. Yeah. Um, and what I have recognized over the course of probably the last four or five years is the Lord taking that, um, you, you mentioned like being able to, Sniff out agendas, but I, I can consider that a gift of discernment that you have, mm-hmm. um, and that what the Lord's done that I've seen in you over the last four or five years is that that gift of discernment is not uh, my res- your responsibility has shifted at least in the way that you act, which is I'm not going to just go and call that out, but I'm going to come and look to shepherd and like minister to this person's heart yes. um, and actually see what's going on because I want good for them. Yeah, and and that turn. I think has allowed that other side that maybe has always been there, but maybe lied lie dormant that other side, which is that very tender side of you mm-hmm. for other people in the church to see, uh, especially those who have had the benefit of being, whether it be in your home group or on your teams or, mm-hmm. or really just a friend of yours in the church.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. And, and the, uh, on the discernment end, that's, uh, I'm glad you see that. And, and, and I, uh, my heart as, as we, move into elder candidacy here is, is to continue that just to love on people, see uh, the hurt that people are experiencing, remind them that Christ makes them whole. You talk about the whole, just to clarify too, the whole slow dance with Jesus. I know some of you are rolling your eyes at that. <laughs> um, and particularly, you know who you are, but uh, you know that, that really is just my desire to, to see Jesus, to be embraced physically by Christ. And, and I've always said like, if, if, if we, if ugly crying is a thing in eternity, the moment that I embrace Christ, I mean try not to cry just thinking about it right now, right? So but I I will be a puddle of tears uh in and, and so we'll see when we get there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it'll probably be in reverse, you know, you'll just have all joy. The Lord will break me to cry more because oh, yeah. you know, I have that you know, that penchant to just basically uh, be distant from my emotions. <laughs> so um we always use the term and I've even used it a couple of times since we've been talking. But when we think of elder, we think of shepherd, mm-hmm. and then that's in our training. You know, that's uh, that's even how we when we when we talk to our home group leaders, we talk to them about shepherding, having mm-hmm. shepherding conversations. And you know, it's kind of like I don't know, ten years ago when when uh, gospel became the buzzword that they started using like gospel. You gospeled everybody. You know, mm-hmm. you gospel this, gospel that. Everything's you know gospelicious, You know, so shepherding can become that at Providence. But I still love the word, and I still think it's the best word to use. When you think of being a shepherd, what immediately comes to mind? Like what comes to your thoughts as far as shepherding the flock?
1: Um, I was asked this question in, in, a, in a different way the other day in a counseling session. But, you know, I, 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 I told my, a friend one time as we were sitting down for, for coffee, because he was just basically saying, like, I struggle to leave my family or even know how. And the most simple, like physical example I could give him was like if you if you are sitting in the Starbucks parking lot, maybe in Kingwood, and there's HEB there, and you're just looking at HEB, and you're and HEB is the goal, Christ is the goal, eternity's the goal, you know. Yeah. Um, we're just gonna walk towards HEB, and we're gonna start looking over there across the street at Hooning Garden, or we're gonna start looking at um, you know another another shop over there. But but shepherding is really just gently helping to move your gaze back towards that goal which would be HB mm. in this example right and so you walk gently and every now and then as you as your child starts walking away towards the cars you got to yank them yeah but truthfully it's really just putting your arm around for me it's putting your arm around people and just saying like let's follow Christ together here yeah um, and and caring and, and there's protection too you know I'm, a, I'm like I said I'm a very loyal person Um and I'm all about protecting the flock. And I think that the gift of discernment you talked about is, has been largely up to this point used to help kind of um, catch problems before they happen. Um, I'm not perfect, so no, I don't see everything, but that's kind of been a big thing. And, and for, for me, shepherding is, is you know, sheep is not a bad term. I know that in, in, in society today we use the, the term sheeple to kind right. of in, insult people. But, like, the important part is that we have the best good shepherd. Right. So,
0: it, what an honor it is to be a sheep. Yeah, yeah. I think I love that analogy of of you know, I think "Come Thou Fount" has an amazing line that's very popular. But you know, the the prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone mm-hmm. to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Yeah. It reminds me of that, um, that idea that our our hearts are prone to wander. So our feet follow our hearts. You know, and and a shepherd's role is. Well, a to know to know that we primarily have to keep our eyes focused on Jesus too, so we mm-hmm. don't you know basically lead people astray. Yeah. But then secondarily, it's that um, that gentle guiding that hopefully you know the goal is obviously you never want just like your child you never want them to run into the street you want them yeah. to stay close so you try to you try to keep a touch. But you and I both know you know have having little boys that sometimes they they break out on their own and they they get into dangerous situations. And I like the idea of you know. Elders having to exercise their authority in the church is so much more like you having to like wrestle your son out of the deep end of the pool mm-hmm. versus you having to be this, uh, you know, pedestal ruler who's, yeah. you know, basically laying down edicts from the stage, you know, proclamations to, to prove your authority. It's yeah. much more fatherly. And, and that's why I like that, that I, the, uh, the, the analogy of shepherd. Yeah. Uh, because really the, the, the primary form like formative emotion is love there. You know, it's not power. Yeah. You know, the power is really only wielded in love. Um, that's why you know Psalm twenty three talks about the rod and the staff comforting the sheep. Yeah. You know, it's because his authority and his his power, the good shepherd, actually comforts us. So I really like that analogy. Um, obviously, whenever you, at least I'll speak from my own experience when I, when I when I think about leadership and I think about the the expectations. I think about the role. I think about the responsibilities. There's a level of anxiety that comes along with that that I don't think people oftentimes maybe pick up on because, uh, well, sinful human beings desire power. Um, But I also think that there is an element of anxiety that comes along with the idea, especially for those who are at all in tune or self-aware with just how broken we are. And every Christian should be. that there's an anxiety that comes with it. How have you felt the anxiety of the idea of shepherding? How have you been dealing with
1: that? Uh, that's a good question. Um, so, in as a general, as a generality, in my life, anxiety turns into action for me, and that's not always a good thing. Um, but uh, you know, I've had the fortune of seeking after this for a very long time, yeah. Um, and so I've got, I've gotten to watch. Um, you and Butch and my dad, when you were first installed, I watched Corey his installation, um, and Mario and Mike, um, and I've watched you guys along the years. And and really, I believe the Lord um, has just slowly prepared me for this. And one of the biggest things you said was that we like to have people who are already kind of doing the job. And so I think that there's a small level of anxiety at this point because we're talking eight years of of working through this. Um, and and really, like I, I, I just want people to know that, like you said, elders are here to serve. Like yes, there's authority and there's there's direction and, and discipline involved. But as elders, like we are we are the under shepherds to that help and um and do the work of the the good shepherd. Yeah. And so in some ways, like I'm not I'm not freaking out um, because I know that uh, over the next you know number of months as we train. The my weaknesses are going to be made known to me, um, and we're going to work on those things, submit them in prayer. Um, but in in a, in a lot of ways, it's just my heart for people is already there. Thanks be to God. You know? Yeah. Um. And so I think I would I was much more nervous a number of years ago because I felt like I didn't, you know, I didn't have that love for people that, at the same intensity that I that I do now. Um, and so I'm just really looking forward to like whether it's creating systems or, um, whatever the case may be to help people. It's all for the goal of, of people. Um, and so I know that Providence has had some, obviously we've had some hurt in the past with, with our, with things that have happened on our elder boards. Um, yeah. And so I think there's a little bit of anxiety there. Um, cause anytime you, you then platform a new leader, um, there's some, I don't want people to be fearful. Right. Um. And and I wanted I want to to honor that position and, and honor the people and things like that. So there's a little bit of, of just thought, that thought in my mind of oh I don't I don't want that same kind of um, stigma, from the hurt that we've experienced as a church to be, uh, be and be there as well. Yeah, I, I love that,
0: you know, you, you say the love for people is already there. It reminds me of this. It reminds me of the story of Solomon. Uh, it's it's not a, a very well-known story in the Old Testament, um, and in a way, it almost has like a Disney feel to it, because it's kind of like a, Solomon's a young man. God comes to him in the night and says, I'll grant you anything that you would like. It's like an Aladdin moment, you know? You're like, it's like God's the genie. He's going to grant Solomon anything that he wishes, right? And um, I've always loved this story, because Solomon's response is, God, would you grant me wisdom? And then... He says, grant me wisdom that I might lead your people well. Mm. And God was so pleased with that answer that he says, I'm going to grant you riches and honor on top of it. Basically saying, you will not only be the wisest man to ever live, but you'll be the wealthiest and most honored king in all of all of history uh, of Israel. And it, it reminds me of your answer in that, why did God love Solomon's response so much? And I think that, the reason is because solomon asked for wisdom if he had just stopped there though wisdom can be used in a myriad of ways like solomon knew he was in he's in line for the kingship right so he he knew that authority was coming but if you're a wily and wise king that is selfish or narcissistic or self-exalting then you know you can you can use that to some evil ends um or maybe, how about this one? If you can use wisdom in order to get yourself on or on the earth, you can get yourself, um, you know, financial compensation on the earth. Mm-hmm. And Solomon doesn't even mention any of that stuff. So then God says, you know, I want I want that for you too. And it reminds me of your uh, answer, which is, I love people. Hmm. So you're given this uh, opportunity to have a title or a, a leadership role, but it's how do you wield that tool? That yeah. tool is is to be wielded because I love the people. God give me. This so I can help them, you know, and I think that's really honorable. I think that's, uh, that's really the heart of the shepherd, you know, and to use Jesus's analogy of of the shepherd in John 10, it's, um, the hired hand versus the shepherd, you know, when the, when the wolf comes, the hired hand flees because he really doesn't, he's just, he's just in it for the money, but it's the shepherd who would lay his life down for the sheep, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know how, I don't even know how long we've been talking, but I wanted to have a, I had one more question that I thought might be, uh, might be helpful to ask you. And that's, um, I guess it, I guess it's personal but it's more so just about providence. Obviously we're in COVID mess, been in quarantine now since March, so it's you know, we're recording this it's like you know about to be August. Um there's just a lot going on in our world. What is what is your great, greatest hope for Providence looking forward? Like what do you see for the church? What do you see for our church and what are what are some of your dreams and hopes for us moving forward?
1: This is where the intensity of my personality will come in. <laughs> So, um, a lot. I've got a lot of hopes for Providence. Um, as, so, you know, I've served a lot of different roles. The one role that's never changed in my time with Providence has been worship. Mm. So, I think, number one, my hope is that people would continue to value um, gathering together uh, as much as possible moving forward and you know, who knows what this is going to look like from month to month. But, um, my, my hope is that right now in this season, we would not grow comfortable with how things are, but we would remember that God has created a community for a reason. Um, and he's created gathering together on Sunday for a very powerful reason to, to nourish us and to encourage us, to challenge us, um, and to unify the church. um, I think my hope, my more intense hope, to be honest, is that we would remember why we why we are members of Providence Community Church, and that is to make the gospel unignorable in our city. Um, every local expression of the body of Christ has different bends, and that's what's beautiful about the body of Christ. But we have chosen this one for a very specific reason. And so uh, if you're listening to this, my hope for you is that it would be serious for you. You would be wholly committed to... Uh, discipleship community the gospel that you would not be just an attendee of Providence Community Church or just find this to be your church but this is your mission field Um, and that we are going to my hope for 20 rest of 2020 2021 um, and one of the things I'm most excited about just elder candidacy and being an elder uh, is just getting to um, and I say lead the charge I say I say that uh, not in a prideful way but just be a representative that leads our people uh, specifically to advance the kingdom. Uh, I, I am ferociously committed to this. Um, and, and that has really, really uh, kind of reignited it in, in the past year or so. Um, I just, you know, in our culture, there's just so many churches all over the place and everybody's a Christian or everybody thinks they're a Christian. And um, what a joy it is to know Jesus, who Christ is. The salvation he offers the hope that he brings the promise that he gives and it is serious that so many people don't know that mm. and so we cannot be a community of people that are just cool with coming to church on the sunday going to home group on wednesday and then doing our lives there's nothing wrong with ordinary life for the glory of god and there needs to be that but there needs to be in prayerful intentionality is um, one of our church values that we probably don't talk about enough but we have to be ferociously dedicated each person we need to go to war and i don't mean to buzzword some of you with spiritual warfare with that term but there's no other else no other way to say it like my hope is that we would be a people that go to war for the kingdom of god yeah that's timely that's a timely encouragement too i think in
0: in our culture right now and just you know you kind of look all around and and it feels like we're 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 in cultural wars right now Mm -hmm. and uh and maybe it's a good reminder to the body of just to see with spiritual eyes that there's a, that really the primary battle that's going on is a spiritual one. Yeah. And, uh, like Ephesians chapter six, you know, Paul tells us we don't battle against flesh and blood. You know, we, we battle against principalities and powers yes. and, and, uh, our weapons of warfare are, are not carnal. Yeah. And so, um, I think that's a timely encouragement, man. I, I appreciate it. And I also yeah. appreciate you taking time to sharing your story and, yeah. Um, I just want to tell you, you know, you're a good man, you're a good leader, really excited about your elder candidacy. I think that you will serve as a, you know, a great pastor to the church and, and a great shepherd. So I'm um, excited for it. But uh, thanks for tuning in, uh, everyone who was able to, to this uh, episode of the Provcast. Um, if you want more information, you could always visit us online at ProvidenceTX.org, um, or you could also uh, subscribe on, uh, I think we have it on iTunes And um, you can go to our website also and find these podcasts. Uh, So we hope that you will be blessed and that you'll join us next time.